I want to start this morning just by a quick review. In the book of Revelation, it starts out saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It speaks of things in the past and things present, but it also speaks about things that are yet to come. And we've seen already in the book of Revelation, as it's speaking about the future, that God brings tribulations upon the earth. Now, you'll see on the slide that I have behind me that we've, we've uh, shown this through different things. It first said that there were seven seals, and as those seven seals were broken, different things came on the earth that were trials and tribulations, famines, pestilence, water turning to blood, different things like that, as well with the seven trumpets. Those things went down uh, as the trumpets were blown, so there was more trials and tribulations. And we saw then um, that they weren't necessarily just on a timeline, first the seals and then the trumpets, but maybe that they were overlapping each other. These things are happening kind of at the same time in conjunction with one another. Maybe hard to see then when it's going on. So maybe if there is type of global warming things or when nuclear disasters happen and suddenly the sea is poisoned, that some of these things may be ramping up and somehow be involved in the seals and the trumpets as the Lord would roll these things out. That maybe there's already some things in process according to these seals and trumpets that have already gone forward. Well, now we're in the last sequence of seven. Today we're going to come in and we're going to talk about the seven bowls. Uh, that are being poured out. Last week we read about how seven angels were given seven bowls and they're going out from the throne room and they're going to be told now to pour out these bowls upon uh, the earth. And we're going to see how that happens. And we're going to look at this uh, slide a little bit more uh, in a little bit. But we're going to look at the bowls today and how they come into play. So if you would look at uh, Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, it says... Then I, this is John talking, the Apostle John, who's receiving this vision, this revelation, says, Then I, John, heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So God declares from his throne. We know that voice is actually his voice. He declares it's time to go and pour out the bowls of my wrath. Verse 2 says this, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. If you remember, the Antichrist had come. We've seen this and he had given a mark. We don't know if that's actual physical or maybe spiritual as we've seen in scripture, but that they are set apart for not Jesus. That they are aligned with Satan and with his uh, kingdom, the system and with the Antichrist. Everybody's kind of lumped over there, the entire world. If you're not with Jesus, you're on the other team. And so this says that if you're on the other team from Jesus, that as this bowl goes out, that harmful and painful sores came upon those who had this mark of the beast. Verse 3 goes on and says, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of, the sa of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just, are your judgments. After three bowls, this declaration goes out. Um, the, an angel in charge says, hey, God did this. 
He made these things into blood so that all that there is to drink by those who do not love Jesus and have slain his people is this blood. They're getting their, what they deserve. They're getting, he's, he's giving them what they deserve. And also those at the altar, we've learned earlier that those who'd been killed uh, for Jesus' name were at the base of the altar. So this is people who have been martyred. They've been killed. And this is happening right now in our day and age. More people are being killed for the name of Jesus Christ in this century than the last one and all the others before it. It's happening more and more. It may not seem like it because we're in a very comfortable position here in uh, North America. But all around the world, persecution is happening for the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you remember uh, my friend who was here last week, Valentine. I met her in Ukraine. Uh, she was showing us off Facebook this pastor that she's been following who, on the, who had lived on the border of Ukraine and Russia and they persecuted him. They threw him into prison for his faith. They had, he had started prayer rather, uh, gatherings in the city center, in the town that they were living in, and they hauled him off to prison and just beat the heck out of him. And so now on Facebook, he shows, and he's got what looked like almost the scars of Jesus, just slashed all over his back, bruises up and down his body, for the name of Jesus. He's not dead yet, so what does he do? He's continuing to preach about Jesus. It's happening in our day. People are being crushed. For Jesus, people are dying for his name. And it's happening at the hands of other human beings who, along with Satan and what is going on, they are taking this out on followers of Jesus. So, verse 8, we read on, it says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him, God, glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty." So three more bowls have gone out. These things are really, really bad. They are so bad. And yet in the midst of them being so bad, people who do not love Jesus, it comes down upon them and say, you know what? We don't care. We still will not turn to Jesus. See, God often allows things and difficult things to come upon peoples. And his hope is that as he allows tribulations and trials to come, that people will repent and turn their hearts to the Lord. He's given them warnings. He's given them discipline to return. He hasn't brought the final wrath yet, but he's allowing the way in which he speaks worldwide oftentimes to show people, you know what, he's in charge. Come back. In the book of Amos, we find that he did this with Israel. He took away their food. He took away their water. He sent pestilence. He sent other armies. And it says they still, in the midst of God sending the messages, would not repent of their sin. And that's what will happen. As these bowls go out, people do not repent. In fact, not only do they not repent, but then it says that 
frogs, these demonic things would go and together with Satan, the false prophet, which is Antichrist, and the whole system, they gather together all the armies to come against God for war. It says that the Euphrates is dried up and coming across there are the kings of the east. And let's pause for a moment and just look at the political spectrum. That was known that the kings on the other side of the Euphrates was known as the kingdom of uh, Parthia. Right now, that's currently where Iran sits and, and, and all the way extending up into what are the former Soviet, currently uh, Muslim areas and extending all the way up into Russia. Well, when you look over in that area of the world, who in, who in the world is causing a lot of problems? All that area, Iran, all the, all the problems going all the way up into Russia. They've, those problems are going on. What's keeping them from going down and starting? Well, God has said it's not time yet. As he begins to pour out these bowls and go, and they say, we will not repent, God pours out another bowl in which by these demonic frogs, the frogs are being illustrative there, that they would go out and capture and deceive, uh, allow them to be brought into an alliance to come against Jesus that they will come out of the east there. And so that's something to watch as we watch the political arena right now that God is setting up this final battle. So that's happened. Six bowls have gone out. Now, uh, if we could get that slide again up here. When we look at that, when we initially did it, we saw that the sequence of seven, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, and then there's a break, and then the seventh. As you look at them from top to bottom, it looks like they're all happening across the same amount of time. But as I read about the seven bowls and the way that God does it, it always leads up to this great and final day. And the way in which these ones go around, if, if I could, I tried to get a slide back on that computer. It wasn't working for me this morning, but just let me show you. If I could take that seventh bowl one and squish it so that it wasn't so long and just put it right at the end so it was a I think it's just really fast that these seven bowls go out. It's just boom, 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 boom. I would shorten that up because I think it's going to be very quick when those seven bowls go. And it's going to go quick, 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 and people say, no, 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 get our armies. It's time to fight God. We will do all-out battle with God. Now, as we've seen in these sequences of seven, what we've found repeatedly is that it's one, two, three, four, five, six, and then there's a pause, and then there's the seventh. And so I want to talk about that pause because here's the pause here. And it's important for you and I to see what this pause is. The quick pause in this one is verse 15. In parentheses, Jesus quickly tells his believers, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus is saying, I could come at any time. You need to be ready. Keep your clothes on so that when you get here, you're ready to go. Don't be so involved in what's going on that you're not seeing these things and ready because you don't know exactly when I'm coming, but I'm showing you the signs. Amen. And when it's time to go, be dressed in Jesus. Amen. Don't be exposed as not actually being on his team. Don't be exposed as saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't live anything like it. I don't have my eyes on him. I don't live for him. I don't talk about him. I don't pray to him. I actually look a whole lot more like the rest of the world, which is joining up in this big army against Jesus. Amen. Are you exposed? Jesus takes a brief pause in the sequence of seven after six to say to his believers, I'm coming like a thief. You don't know when the thief is coming. I'm coming. You don't know when, but be ready. Be clothed. 
the scripture talks about, well, what should we be clothed with then? The armor of God? A mind that's on Jesus? We'll come back and talk about that in a moment. But let us finish out here because it says then, after the brief pause, now we're getting into the seventh in verse 16. And they assembled them at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. You've probably heard that word before. That's usually a description of the great gathering place where there will be a battle, the final battle. People talk about Armageddon. There's movies made that have nothing to do with this, but they use the word Armageddon because everybody knows that means the final battle. And that word right there means the mountain of Megiddo. There's actually a place called Megiddo in Israel. It could be in that area. It could extend all the way down towards Jerusalem. In Joel chapter 3, it says that it would be in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. There's not an actual Valley of Jehoshaphat, but the name Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges. And that probably means coming out of Jerusalem. So somewhere there between Jerusalem and Megiddo, it sounds like there's going to be this great fight. It describes it elsewhere as this broad plain. It's going to take a lot of room for all the armies of the earth to come together and fight. Okay, so it talks about it being in that area, and I just want to briefly talk about that because I know there's questions. You want to go do more study on it? Go study on it. I know people have lots of opinions on it. I don't. It just says that they assemble themselves at the place Armageddon. I'm just going to watch and wait and see that when it happens. Verse 17, just to finish this out. It's finally the seventh bowl. This is after the pause, and now it's going to really come home. It says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And the great city, which is Jerusalem, was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. So the seventh bowl's come and it's done. That this is it. That's the final moment. The final moment of God's wrath. And it gets bad. It talks about 100-pound hailstones. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen things similar. You remember when there was that volcano in Iceland? And it erupted. It had a whole covering of glacier and ice, and there was huge hunks of ice falling from the sky. It's not unheard of to have huge chunks of ice falling. So you look at 100-pound hailstones. God can do whatever he wants to do. He'll use a volcano, or he'll just tell clouds, drop them now. Okay? He's going to do it. But there, in that instance, we see that all this is going on. There's flashes of lightning. We know that when God brings his final wrath, that there is lightning and thunder and he's showing his glory and it's coming out upon his enemies. Now, the reason we brought this up with the sequence of seven, because it was always one, two, three, four, five, six, break. And then on number seven came all that chaos, seemingly, but organized by God of lightning, thunder, earthquake, darkness, all that stuff. Well, when you take that, that picture. And you think about the fact that this is being done by a God who's loving and just and righteous. Amen. Well, what's just about that? And how can he still be good? If we look at this and he's doing that to people, then how can it still be good? And this, this is why. 
Because of what we've seen from the very beginning of Scripture and all throughout the Scripture is at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, they rebelled and became enemies against God. And that every human being who has ever lived, including you and I, have come out of the womb, even little Mia Graceland, who just came out a couple weeks ago, she is already in rebellion against God because she's a sinner. All of us are. And we want to live our life. We want it our way. We want to be our king. And we will act upon those natural sinful instincts to sin against him. We are all in sin. It would, it would be completely justified because we are rebels against God Almighty for him to take all of us and throw us into hell. But he's a good God. And he came up with a plan. He had a plan before he ever created the world to save you from your sin, to keep you from an eternal judgment against you. And his plan was this. It was for him to come down from heaven. His name was Jesus. And Jesus took on flesh and blood. You squeeze and pinch your fingers. He could do that too. He had skin. He had nerves. He had a brain. He had a stomach. He probably had stinky feet. He probably worked under the heat. He probably loved to eat a meal. He was human, but he had never sinned. He was the one person in all of history who had never sinned. So while the rest of us, it would be justified for God to strike us down with his wrath because we're rebels. Jesus was the only one who walked in righteousness. He was always right before God. And so he did not deserve to die. And yet, he was the one who was put on the cross. He didn't have to die for his own sins. But what God had planned was that Jesus would be nailed upon that cross in my place and in your place. The wrath of God was going to come upon people, but in order to save you, he took himself, who took on flesh, and put himself on that cross, and he was struck down. Now, on that cross, that hurt. He had nails going through his hands and his feet. He had been whipped and scourged within an inch of his life. He had been spat on and mocked. He had a crown of thorns upon his head, and it hurts. Now, those were tribulations, just like the one through six of the seals and trumpets and bowls. But the worst was number seven. Because while Jesus is hanging on that cross, the Father turned away from Him. Why? Because He was a sinful mess. Not because of His sin, but because of yours. And because Jesus was your sin, He was on that cross, not just to bear the punishment in a physical way, but in that moment, He was completely alone because the Father turned His back on Jesus Christ. They were ripped and separated in relationship. And in that moment when Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, as we've seen God, the father crushed his one and only begotten son under his wrath. Why was that just that action was just as well? It was just because he was dying for your sin. He was taking your punishment. Jesus died under the wrath of God so that you would not have to die under the wrath of God. And so then what do you have to do? You just say, I'm sorry, Lord, for my sin. Please forgive me. When you say forgive me, your sin is taken 
off of you and it's put upon Jesus. You are set free and he bore the burden of your sin under the wrath of God. And so in all those sequences of seven, we see one, two, three, four, five, six, and then wrath, lightning, thunder, earthquake, darkness. Well, when you see Jesus on that cross, what does it say? He underwent tribulation and then he received that wrath. And what do you see there in the Gospels? Lightning, thunder, earthquake, darkness. It was all a picture. You see, the choice is either you and I say, look what Jesus did for me. God, I call upon your grace and your mercy to save me because Jesus died for me and washed me in your blood. And he saves you. He rescued you. So when he comes back and judges the world, guess what? You'll be set free. You will be absolutely free and you'll be given eternal life with God forever. It's awesome. It is awesome. But if you are not with Jesus, guess what? You're on the other team. And when he returns, he won't be coming back to rescue you. He'll be coming back to bring his wrath on you. It's said there in that scripture that Babylon, that includes all the world that is not with Jesus. It's said in there in Revelation 16, it said, God remembered Babylon the Great. That's everything against Jesus. He remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. That means anybody who's not with Jesus won't find another way of escape. There's not a secret elevator out of this place. It drained the wrath. They had to, had to drink it. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, we used to have this cat. It was a beautiful cat, a black and white tuxedo cat. When we first got him, um, we, had, we had got him from a, a rescue, and he had been a street cat. Well, street cats, they get into all kind of mischief and eating different things, and, and this cat had had um, parasites. And so the vet, to take care of the parasites, had given us this medicine. And we had to, have you ever tried to feed medicine to a cat? I mean, this stuff was this liquid, and we had to take it up through a little kind of a syringe, and then Katie or I would have to hold the cat, and the other person would take that syringe and stick it way back in the cat's jaws, way back behind his teeth, and squirt that stuff in. Well, we would, I mean, we would try to wrestle that cat and hold on to that cat as much as we could, and we would squeeze that medicine, and that cat would get that medicine and just start gagging and just start waving its head around. And medicine is, I mean, it's, it's going all over. And we're trying our best. That medicine has to get in. It needed a drink, the fullness. It needed to drain that medicine to take care of its problem. It had to drain it. Now, when God brings his wrath upon the earth, it's not going to be as if when that goes in and people have to drink the wrath, that's symbolic of saying, no, they will take it. They're not going to be able to say, blah, 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 and just get rid of it and find another way to not drink it. God says, if you're not with Jesus, you will have the wrath of God upon you. There's no other way about it. You will suffer under the wrath of God. There's no escape. I know preachers will come and they'll preach hell and fire and brimstone to scare people into the kingdom of God. And I don't want to scare you. I want to preach the truth and say that these tribulations are coming and that last final wrath is coming. And if you don't know Jesus, you will suffer under the wrath of God. But my goal is not to scare you 
into Jesus. My goal is to tell you how much Jesus loved you into himself. And recognize that that was your destiny apart from him. And in order to save you from that, he, by his grace, went and endured that for you. Jesus, in that moment on the cross, wasn't able to go, I don't want any of it. He took it all. He drained the cup of God's wrath because he looked at you and said, I love you so much. There's no other way to save you. And remember when he prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any way for me not to drink this cup, then let's go that way. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. There was no other way for Jesus but to go drink and drain the wrath of the Father as he died on that cross. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. I want to love you towards Jesus because Jesus wants to love you towards Jesus. He loves you so much that he died for you. Have you ever had anybody else die for you? You've had patriots die for you. You've had other people die for you. But you know what? They can die to extend this life a little further, maybe give you freedom so you can read your Bible in this church today. But there is no one else who can die for you to set you free for eternity. Your mom can't die for you. A soldier can't die for you. A dog or a goat or anything else can't die and be substituted for you. Only Jesus Christ can die for you. And if you don't call upon his name, guess who dies for you? You do. God loved you. He didn't want you to die for you. He died for you. If Jesus Christ has died for you, you've called upon his name. And he took a moment to say, hey, you need to wake up. He had that parentheses right in the middle and said, hey, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. I love that when I talk to Christian believers who are so in love with Jesus that despite whatever tribulation they might be going through right now, they can see that Jesus is in it and he's got a bigger plan and he, they trust them. I had a great time this week sitting down and talking with Miss Aline. Now, if you don't know Miss Aline, she's 95 years old, although when I asked her, she said she might actually be 96. There's some paperwork or something else. She said, I'm going to stick with 95. So that's fine. I'll let you be 95, 96, whatever you want to be. So I talked with Miss Aline. She's up at Liberty Commons because she's she hurt her knee. You know, she's she's waiting for the bones and the muscles to strengthen. She's doing some therapy, and we were talking about that. And I asked her, I said, Miss Aline, are you in, are you encouraged or discouraged or just where's your heart at? She said, I'm so encouraged. I said, Well, why are you so encouraged? She says, I know the Lord has me in this place for a reason. I know he's with me, and I know that because I'm here, I get to share him with the people who are coming to visit me, with the staff who's helping me out, with the training uh, people who are helping me. I'm here because Jesus wants me here as hard as it is. And I'm living for him here, and so I'm encouraged. I was just blown away. I mean, it, it just so lifted my spirits because, you know what? I can still run, and I can shoot baskets, and I can go wherever I want to go, Here's a woman who's held captive in her room because of a bum knee. And she's thankful. And I thought to myself, in all the places I'm going and shooting basketball, eating this and that, that, am I looking at it as opportunity? Am I so dressed in Jesus that I'm prepared at every moment to keep my eyes on him because 
I'll tell you what, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Sometimes he allows that turbulence to let you get put in a certain position and maybe hardship to have you turn and remember him and get back on track. And it may be hard. You may actually die from it, but your eyes are on the one who loves you and saves you. It's easy for us to get caught up in other things. This, this week I have a charge from uh, my kids, and that is for a long time we wanted to build a treehouse. Tree houses, they're, they're awesome. I remember building a tree house when, when we were kids. about killed myself a couple times on that thing. But, hey, every kid needs one, I think. So we've been talking tree house. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out online and figure out the best way to build a tree house. And I stumbled upon these videos. Some guy actually up in Washington, where we're from, uh, up in that Pacific Northwest area, he's, a, he's just a do-everything-around-the-house kind of guy. He's just going to make it himself, whatever it is. And he, he has... All these videos about building his son a treehouse. So I start video number one, and I'm like, well, that's really cool. On to video two. That's really cool. And, and I just keep watching this guy's video. All of a sudden, it's all about treehouses. I can't stop thinking about treehouses. I'm dreaming about treehouses. I'm considering it. You know, uh, it's just treehouses. And I, I begin all, my mind and my attention, treehouses, right? Isn't it amazing how we can get so captured by something like a treehouse? Now, I'm not saying building tree houses is wrong. In fact, if any of you have lumber you want to donate, go ahead and send it my way. <laughs> but think about the things that you so easily gravitate towards and just become consumed with. It could be something that you really love and enjoy. And it's not wrong to love and enjoy those things, but is your mind completely on those things? It may be something that's hard and difficult, and it so has captured your emotions that all you can think about is that difficulty You're so wrapped up in it. You live in fear and in self-pity and discouragement. Are you there? Are you caught just watching the world and you're just watching, but you're just watching because you're just watching because you're just watching? You ever find yourself doing that? You're just watching? But you're consumed by just the watching because we become a consumer society. It's so easy, whether it's tree houses or medical condition, whatever, to get so consumed that no longer is our mind consumed with Jesus. When he says, keep your clothes on so you're not exposed, you know what that means? Keep thinking about him. Keep your mind on him. That all the time, if if he has you to go build a tree house or he has you going through a difficulty, if he has you going this way in life, he may be leading you there, but it's to go there and to say, you know what, Jesus is doing something this. He may be having me to tell somebody else about Jesus. As these tribulations come down, he'll be using this to reveal about him. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to just keep it on the Ukrainian pastor who's willing to get his head kicked in to tell others about Jesus. I want it to be the American pastor in the American church who has the freedom to tell about Jesus, to be so consumed with him in everything that we do that we'd be clothed in him and we wouldn't be unaware of what he's doing. He loves you. Don't be unaware of that. And he loves those around you, those that you like and those that are your enemies. He loves them too. The people around the world that are persecuting Christians, guess what? He loves them too. He wants to save them. 
Keep your minds on Jesus. Keep your hearts on Jesus. Be consumed with Him. Stay in the Word. You know, we don't read this Bible just so we can check it off or if somebody asks, we can tell them we've read it. No, we, we read it because that keeps Jesus in our heart. It keeps us remembering how good He is and that He's, he's everything. He really is everything. And so this morning, if you're saying, I don't understand all the seven bowls, that's okay. Keep reading and studying, but understand this. Jesus loves you, and he wants to be everything for you. So this morning, if you find a part of your mind and heart that are captured by something else, release that to the Lord and say, Lord, would you come consume all my thoughts and my hearts because that is getting dressed. When he comes back, it says there, you don't want to be naked. You want to be dressed in Jesus, ready to go. So this morning as we close, your response is you saying, Lord, I, I, I want to do that. It might be your first time and saying, Lord, Jesus, I want to be with you. And so I just call upon your name for the first time ever and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please save me. And guess what? Boom, he saved you. Today may be the first day that you're consumed with Jesus. And praise God for that. You've known his love. He died in your place so that you could live. Praise God. Your response might be, hey, I've prayed that prayer before, but I'm finding in my life that I'm finding myself consumed with all these other things, with worries, with money, with job, time, pizza, whatever it is, responsibilities. You may have those responsibilities and all those things, but if you're finding your mind is captured by them, let Jesus capture your heart and mind again today and come back. Say, Lord, clothe me in yourself. Keep, help keep my mind on you. And your response goes outside this room as well. As we go from this place, keep in the Lord, keep in the Scripture. If you need help with that, that's partly why I'm here. I want to read Scripture with you. Come to our Thursday morning Bible study. Come to our Wednesday night Bible study. Call me up and say, Pastor Jason, I want to read the Bible with you or with somebody. How do I, how do, I do that? I want to learn that. Let's do it. Come and talk to me. But as we hear the Scripture, we respond. And that's us saying yes to the Lord. Yes to the Lord. So, Father, we come to you today. As we come and we, we finish out this service, Lord, we, we don't want it just to be a closing prayer and an amen, and we go on our way and we go to lunch and we set up VBS and we just get consumed with other things. But, Lord, we know that we're, we're told to be consumed with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us in the depths of our soul to know just how much you do love us. You've never forsaken us. And by your blood, you wash us and call us into relationship with you. And so, Lord, please forgive us. We pray that you would cause us, Lord, to, to keep our mind on you, totally consumed with you. We might not understand everything in the word, and we may not understand everything that's going on. But Lord, we pray that we wouldn't left to just live like rebels anymore, but that we would live like the redeemed. Lord, I want to give you thanks for this fifth Sunday service. We pray that this would be a a Sunday ongoing, Lord, that would be about you and your name. We pray that you'd be glorified and that you'd be sending us out into a world that needs to know about you. And so we give you thanks for what you've done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.